Turn, if you would, to Jonah chapter 2. We finally got there. Jonah chapter 2. Let's pause for a, a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for the sweetness of worship and the glory of your grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, that is true of every single one of your followers. It's amazing grace that has broken into our life. And I pray, Father, as we prepare to hear your word, as we prepare to go into the belly of the fish with Jonah, that we would be helped. Lord, that we would hear the very words of God that we would be helped by the Spirit-inspired, life-giving, totally truthful Word of God. And that Your Spirit would come upon the preaching of the Word and that it would be about Your glory. That it would be giving the sense of this passage straight into our hearts. And that we would receive a tailored sermon that ministers right where we are at. Because the Spirit of God is speaking. Because the Spirit of God is moving upon the Word. And so I pray that Your Word would do a work, an effectual work in our hearts. And I pray that as we consider Jonah chapter 2, may You minister to us and may we behold what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, it's been said that Jonah is the prodigal prophet. If there was a prophet in the Old Testament that could have the label, the prodigal, it would be Jonah. And I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. And you remember the story where the prodigal son asks his father, I want my money. I want my inheritance. Come on. And so his dad gives him his inheritance, and what does he do? He goes out and he lives and spends, and that, that's what prodigal means. He spent everything his father had, and pretty soon there's a famine in the land, and he is destitute, hungry, starving as a Jewish man, hiring himself out to some pig farmers. Which, if you're a Jew, that's kind of a no-no. You don't want to be around swine. They're unclean animals. And he's in the pig pen, and he's looking at the pods that the pigs are eating, and he's saying, I wish I could eat some of that. That's how far down he sunk into his sin and how numb he got. And in the middle of considering the pig pen and the mess he's in, and the pods looking good to him, he has an awakening. It says he comes to his senses, and he says, I was better off with my dad. I had everything I needed, everything I could have wanted. I need to go home. I need to repent of my sin. I need to go home. I need to tell my dad, I don't, I'm not even worthy to be your son. If I could just come and be your servant, would that be possible? And so he goes home. And 
he sees his father off at at a distance. And his father, filled with compassion, runs towards him in love. And you're thinking, maybe the dad's just going to lay into him. But he runs towards him in compassionate love for his son and grabs him up, kisses him on the neck, gives him his royal robes, and has a party, slaughters a fatted calf, and said, my son was lost, and now he's found. The prodigal son had to come to a place of utter abandon and destitution in a pig pen for him to come to his senses. And Jonah, if you'll remember, has been weighed down by his sin. He's been running from God. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, no. God said, go be, preach my message. I want to preach this message of judgment because he wanted to have compassion and mercy on Nineveh. And Jonah said no. And he ran away as far as he could. And he ends up in the cargo hold of a ship, deep in sleep, gets waken up, rebuked by some sailors. The lot is cast. Everybody knows it's Jonah's fault. His sin is affecting other people. His sin is affecting him. And he is utterly called out. Thou art the man, Jonah. This whole storm is your fault. And they pitch him over the side. And he's plunged into the waters, into the watery abyss. And he's swallowed up by a fish. He thinks he's going to die. And he gets swallowed up by a fish. And last week, we saw what amazing grace that was. God was merciful in sending a fish to swallow up Jonah. And now, we are going to hear the heart cry of Jonah. And isn't it funny that Jonah doesn't really experience a personal revival until he's floundering in the waters, coming to his senses, and a fish gobbles him up. Alive. And then... We read the words of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I'd be praying too. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's just imagery. He's just drowning, sinking. Weeds are wrapped around his head. And then, yet, 
You brought, my, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. This is the first time that Jonah actually prays in the whole book. No wonder. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will give sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the hinge of the whole book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the fish. And Jonah was vomited out onto dry land. That is God's marvelous grace being worked out in the life of a prodigal prophet. And he takes him from being a prodigal to a praying prophet. To a prophet ready to go and preach to Nineveh. And it had to happen in the belly of the beast. Brothers and sisters, sometimes God has to put you in the belly of the beast to prepare you. So you can taste His grace. Sometimes you have to get to a place where you sense your utter desperate need and God breaks in and shows you how gloriously merciful He is. And revival breaks out in your soul. You know when God does that in many people all at the same time? When people begin to experience a sense of their sin, a sense of their unworthiness before God, a sense that they've been running, a sense that they've been hiding, a sense that they've been living a life in the pig pen, and then God awakens them to their need and grace breaks in, we call it a revival. We call it an awakening. We call it the Spirit of God falling on people and making them new. Calling prodigals home. That's the business of Jonah chapter 2. It's God's rescue. And Jonah's psalm of thanksgiving for what God has done. It's a, it's a divine psalm penned by Jonah from the belly of a fish for our benefit. And it just breaks down really in three sections. Number one, the cry of distress. Number two, there's a sense in which Jonah is awakened in the middle of recounting this crisis. He's awakened. And then ultimately, there's a song of salvation. So point number one, the cry of distress. Let's look again at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly 
of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Notice what's happening there. Jonah is finally crying out in his soul, crying out in his heart to God, and God answers. Isn't it interesting that when we get into times of distress, times of great peril, times of emergency, times of great panic, we cry out unto God. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we begin to look to Him. Sometimes we have to come to the end of our tether and we realize that we need God. And He's been there all along saying, come talk to me. Come, come to me. Cry out to me. And I will answer you. Jonah experienced this from the belly of the fish. He cried out in his distress, in his panic, and the Lord answered. And then there's this language in verse 2. He cried out of the belly. He cried out of the belly of Sheol, and God heard his voice. What's that? Sheol is what the Hebrews called the grave or the place of the dead. It was a place that you couldn't get back from. And Jonah is on the brink of death, sinking in the seas with no hope. And he cries out. And God hears him. And this prayer is recounting, in many ways, his experience in the water. And God is hearing. God is listening. Some of you think, God's not listening to me. He's not listening to me in my distress. He doesn't hear what I'm going through. He doesn't know what's going on in my family. He doesn't know what's going on in my own soul. I'm so dried up and I need help. But please know He hears. Please know He will answer. Please know that He sent His Son into the world to make a way back to Him. He sent Jesus to rescue anybody who will call on Him. And does not the New Testament tell us anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? So if you are in distress, if you are in peril, if you recognize your sin and you call out to God, He will save you through His Son. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. But He will answer if you call out to Him. And Jonah is in distress. And he's praying for the first time in the book. And prayer, my friends, is heartfelt dependence on God. It's faith in action. When you pray, you're depending on God. When you're not praying, you're like Jonah, running off to Tarshish. I go, I'll, I'll do it on my own. I don't need you, God. I got this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it on my own. But Jonah realizes he must be humbled. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up, the Apostle Peter tells us. To humble yourself before God is to bow your heart. To kneel before the Lord and to say, I need you. 
The Lord resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So perhaps you need to humble your heart before God today and come to Him and get help. You need to hear the cry of distress in Jonah and know that the Spirit is telling you when you cry out, God will answer you if you cry out through His Son, Jesus. If you cry out through the cross, if you cry out through the One who plunged into the abyss and who was forsaken so that you might be forgiven, you will get help like that. But, if you come any other way, if you come through vain idols, verse 8 reminds us that there is no hope for those who pay regard to idols. Any God substitutes will not work. Where do you turn when you are panicked? Where do you turn when you're depressed? Is it to empty idols? Is it to distractions? Is it to anything that you can fill the void? Or is it to the living God by faith? Have you learned the lesson of Jonah from the belly of the fish? That to cry out unto the Lord, you will receive help. What a glorious thing it is to be helped. And God heard Jonah from the belly of the fish. But we also see that not only do we need to have the cry of distress, but we need to be awakened in the crisis. Look at verse 3. Is that not what's happening here? Jonah acknowledges something. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. So Jonah recognizes, and it's the same word, cast is the same word that we've seen all through the book. Hurl, hurl. God hurled the storm. The, the, the sailors hurled Jonah into the ocean. Ultimately, God was behind the casting of Jonah into the ocean. I don't know if you think of this, but God is working behind the scenes in everything. He is sovereign, and He is majestic, and He is powerful, and He can throw a storm, and He can also work through history, and work in the midst of every single circumstance to accomplish His purposes. And that should be a comfort to you, brothers and sisters, because though Jonah was cast into the deep, it was for his good. It was for his everlasting good. And it was for the good of the Ninevites. And it was for the good of you and I, because there would be no book of Jonah if he was not cast off by his God only to be brought back through the belly of the fish. That's glorious redemption. That is wonderful realities that are for you and for me if you will cry out and cry out to God. And if you will know that even though God brings you to a moment of awakening where you feel your deep distress before Him, where you feel your sin, where you feel the weight of it, and then you cry out, that's when help comes. That's when grace is experienced. That's when the sweetness of it tastes so good. That's when you can sing 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's exactly what was happening in the hymn writer's mind, John Newton, who actually was the owner of slaves and would bring slaves over in slave ships. He was a vile man, a rotten man, a foul man, and he was stopped cold, come to his senses, and realized the grace of God was the only reason he got saved. And he penned that hymn because it was like an ode to the glory of the great salvation that God brought into his life. He did nothing to deserve it. And he could do nothing to keep it. It was his God who saved him. It's his God who keeps him. And it's Jonah's God who cast him into the sea only to lift him back out a new man. That's glorious grace. And that's what you and I need. We need it. We need to live in it every single day. We need to glory in it, bask in it, roll in it, delight in it, and then we will go out and proclaim it. Any other way you won't. It is no dull thing to be saved by the living God. And out of the deep, Jonah goes, verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. It was like Jonah was saying, I'm being banished from you, God. But not for long. Because he would learn in the school of the water. And he would be saved by the help of the fish. And it was who? It was God who commanded the fish to come swallow him up. What a glorious reality that is. The waters enclosed, verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. And the deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped about my head. You just imagine seaweed all around his head. And as he's plunging, he's, his feet are, are bumping against the mountains. At the root of the mountains, I went down. The mountains underwater to the land. And he's imagining bars closing around him forever. It's like Sheol, the place of the dead. The deep waters is just swallowing him whole and putting him in a prison. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you feel like you are in a prison and there's no way out. But if you will turn to the Lord, He can get you out. If you will turn and, and, and get help from Jonah to look to Jesus, who came into the world to rescue sinners from the pit, then you will sing verse 6, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord and my God. And please know that when the Lord's name is capitalized, it's speaking of Yahweh. It is the covenant name of God. It is the name of the God of Israel. The God who is at the burning bush. The God who would deliver Israel from Egypt by putting ten plagues on Pharaoh so he would bow the knee and know that there's none like him. He would part the Red Seas 
and bring his people out. What a picture of salvation. The people are in slavery and God brings them out in a miraculous fashion. And you and I are fast bound in our sin. We're swallowed whole like Jonah sinking in the ocean. And there's no way out but Jesus Christ. But God sent Jesus to plunge into the heart of the earth three days and three nights after He was crucified on a cross. And last week we remember that three days later He rose up out of the grave to give life to all who will believe. And please know that Jesus plunged into deep forsakenness for you and me. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Because he was experiencing the abandonment of God for you and me. We deserve the justice of God. We deserve the judgment of God. And Jesus took it on himself so that you and I might have life. There's no greater news than that. Please run to Him and believe on Him and trust in Him. There's no greater news in all the world than that sinners can be rescued from the abyss, brought up out into spiritual life, new creatures. And we are like Jonah and we are given a task to proclaim the Gospel to the nations. And so is it any wonder that we come to our last point, the song of salvation. This is all a song of salvation. It's a prayer. It's a hymn. Jonah was versed in the hymns of the Psalms. He was, he was raised in them. He was taught them. He was helped by them growing up. He was steeped in them. And, you know, when you're doing a pot of tea, you take the little bag and you put it in the hot water, and what happens? It flavors the whole water. It's got to steep in there for a little bit. And when your hearts are steeped in the book of Psalms, you have the flavor of the Psalms ebbing and flowing out of your life. You want to know how to become a prayer warrior, an effectual prayer warrior? Steep your heart in the book of Psalms. Remember the truths of the Psalms. And be helped by them. We read a glorious psalm today. Hope in God. He is my rock. He is my salvation. If that's coming out of your soul regularly, when you are in the abyss, when you are in hard times, you will have psalms bubble to the surface that will help you. It's like truth coming out of your soul. And that's what was happening to Jonah as he was in the belly of the fish. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's thinking there, I'm fading away and then he remembers his God. He remembers. Some of us just need to remember the Lord. Some of us, when we're in the waters, we need to just remember the Lord. And he called out to the Lord from in the midst of that. And he gets help. And my prayer came to you into your temp holy temple. Jonah was running from God and now he's longing for fellowship with God in the temple, which is the place where God dwelled in the Old Testament. 
And God is intimately present with His people at the temple. Now, Jesus brings God with us. Jesus tabernacled or templed among us in the flesh so that God would be with us. And when you have Jesus, you have God with you. Now, Jonah is learning that to have the presence of God is the sweetest hope and help in all of life. And he longs for it, he remembers it, and he knows one day it's coming back again. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. To run into idolatry, which was what uh, Jonah ultimately did, he didn't like that God was compassionate. And so he wanted to reinvent God and run away. And he wanted to sanitize God that didn't care about people or that just cared about the Jews and didn't care about the Ninevites. And he started creating idols. And the idols didn't help him. But the Lord, the Lord got a hold of his heart and straightened him out. And so now he's saying, those who pay regard to empty, vain, worthless idols forsake the steadfast love of God. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. A.W. Tozer once said, and he's right, because what you believe about God changes everything. If you don't believe in the God of the Bible, if you don't believe in the God who sent his son into the world to save sinners, there is no hope. But he has revealed himself gloriously in Scripture. This is the life-giving Word of God. The reason it has power is because God is real. The reason it, He is different than all the false gods of false religions is because this God shows up. What happened on Mount Carmel when Elijah went before the prophets of Baal and he said, choose this day who you're going to serve. How long are you going to go between two opinions? If Baal is God, worship Him. If Yahweh is God, worship Him. But let's have a throwdown. Whoever answers by fire, that one's God. And the prophets of Baal just started, you know, chanting and trying to get their God to do something, and nothing was happening to the sacrifice there before them. They cut themselves. They did everything they could. And Elijah just sat there and he's like, uh, maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. I don't know. It's taken a while. And he actually says that. Um, and ultimately, what happened? Nothing. Then Elijah says, okay, let's take some water. Let's pour it around the sacrifice. Let's build a trench and a moat so the whole thing is drenched in water. It's surrounded in a lake. And then I'm going to cry out to God. And he says, Lord, and he prays, and God shows up in fire swallows it all up, destroys the whole sacrifices, licked up by the flames, and everybody realizes who God is. That's our God. He's the one who shows up. He's the one who sends the fish to swallow Jonah. He's the one who rescues. He's the one who's worthy of our song, our praise, our worship, our honor, our adoration. And this is a psalm of thanksgiving from Jonah the prophet who's been revived and renewed and made new. 
but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Verse 9. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is the aroma of a man who has been with God. Who has been given help. Who has been rescued. He's been saved. He's been made new. And he has the aroma of a psalmist. Oftentimes we forget that the, song, uh, that the hymns, the great hymns of our faith, have been written in many times in the context of great tragedy, great suffering, a fish sort of incident. And It Is Well With My Soul is no different from that. It was penned by a man named Horatio Spafford. And he um, was just had a passion for missions, a passion for evangelism, and he would actually go uh, plan to go to D.L. Moody, who was like the Billy Graham of that time period, which is uh, the 19th century, and he planned on going all the way to England from Chicago, and he had sent his family on ahead, and the ocean liner in the middle of that travel collided with another vessel, and his wife and his children were left in the water. His children died, and he wrote in his journal, all is lost, and his wife barely survived, and he went and took another vessel over to meet D.L. Moody, and on the trip over, on his way over, he penned the words of that hymn, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That was written by a grieving parent who trusted his God. And he has ministered to so many hundreds of thousands with those words. I don't know how many people have been saved because of that psalm or that hymn. But it took the furnace. It took the belly of the beast. And God brought this man out on the other side and He will give him 10,000-fold in the kingdom. Because our God is faithful and salvation belongs to the Lord. And when tragedy strikes, God can still break in and minister to us and help us. And you may be experiencing tragedy. You may be needing help. And please know God will come. Call out to Him in the cry of distress. And when you're awakened in times of crisis, remember the salvation that belongs to the Lord. That's the shout of Jonah. It ends with an exclamation point. It's like a heart cry of declaration that all may know salvation belongs to the Lord. And God will break in and He will rescue His people time and again. So what about us? How do we respond to this word 
it ends with Jonah vomited up onto dry land, ready to do the work of proclamation to a people who didn't deserve to hear the message, but God was merciful to give it. Perhaps the first thing that should flood our hearts is a deep gratitude that God saves sinners. And if God saved you, he did it the very same way. He broke into your distress with his grace. He broke into your sin and your struggle and you're running away from God and he turned you around. There's no other way a person gets saved. It doesn't matter if you got saved when you were six years old or when you were 70. God moves in mysterious ways, but he always moves through the gospel proclaimed. And brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. And the book of Jonah always points us back to him. And anybody who puts their trust in this Savior who died on a cross and rose from the grave, you can be justified in the sight of God because He swallowed up the forsakenness and the judgment that you deserve yourself for your sins if you will believe. Gratitude. And then if you don't know Christ, there is no greater time than now. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait to put your trust in Christ. When the Lord shows you that you are in the waters and a prison is all around you and the seaweed's wrapping around and sin has beaten you down, you must come to Him. There is no other way, but it's a glorious way. It's a life-giving way. He said, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Do you want to be rescued? Then come, believe, receive these truths, and be helped by the song of salvation in the Gospel of Jonah. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that you would effectually work in the hearts of your people and that if there are people who are here or listening online who need to trust in Jesus, that they would be crying out the cry of distress even now. Oh, Lord, please help me. Please save me. Please rescue me. I believe on your son. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you come into my life and rescue me and make me new? Oh, God, would you do that in the hearts of people? Would you do that in the hearts of those that you are calling through your spirit even now to commit their hearts? And oh Lord, would you produce gratitude and joy and praise and thanksgiving in the hearts of your people for the miraculous work of God in saving them. Lord, we thank you for this word and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.